Well, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning to you all. I'm going to enter the sound echo chamber, and we're going to press on for the next better part of an hour and study God's Word. You all ready? I sure am glad to be back. I, I really appreciate the opportunities, like anybody, to be able to get away and do some other things, but you know how it is. There's no place like home, right? So it's always great to be able to come back. I'm very thankful uh, Pastor Ryan filled in when I was gone, and everybody that does the things that they do around here to allow us to be able to have this ministry that we have. And um, we are nearing the end of a Bible study series in the life of Elijah. And if you've been with us, you've been tracking. We've covered every chapter where he's mentioned. And, and actually, this is the second to the last time that Elijah is mentioned directly in the scriptures uh, as far as the acts of his life and the history of when he was alive. And so we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter number 1. You may want to take your Bibles and get ready in 2 Kings chapter number 1. As a point of review, let me just take a minute and remind us all of the main characters that have been active in this story coming through the life of Elijah. First is King Ahab. Ahab was the king of Israel. Uh, Without question, he is the political leader of the ten northern tribes that were called Israel, and he was very wicked. He was an evil political leader. His wife, Jezebel, um, she was, of her own right, a very idolatrous woman. She had her own prophets who had idolatrous worship centers called groves, and uh, she represents a religious leader. She was equally, if not more evil, than her husband, And in this marriage that they had, uh, what we find is that she, from behind the scenes, controls Ahab. And what you can learn from that, among many other things, and we've mentioned this in the past, so this is a point of review if you've been here, is that in every evil government setup, what you're going to find is that there is going to be a religious force that controls the political force. There's a lot we can learn from the Word of God. But it is clever positioning, don't you think? I mean, it really is clever positioning for somebody to intentionally stay behind the figurehead. And while not desiring to take the role themselves, want to control the one who is the figurehead so that they in turn can control the people, yet be able to sit back in the comfort of saying, well, that's not really my job, that's their job. And so in the person of Jezebel, we find very interesting parallels because Jezebel herself, really the most evil woman in all of the writ of Scripture, represents for us that positioning in all three of the areas that God has delegated His authority on planet Earth because she is His wife and the family is one of those institutions that God delegated. And Ahab is the king, and so the governmental structure that is set up, she is in a position from behind the scenes to control him, but she herself is religious. And so we also need to be very wary in the church of situations where somebody who would take such a position to not be the head, but want to be the neck that turns the head. And so these are some of the things that we learn as we come through the study of the life of Elijah. Now the last character is our title character. It is Elijah and he is the prophet. Elijah is the man of God. Elijah is the one who boldly declares God's truth 
regardless of popular opinion or social pressure. And the fact of the matter is that God's word offends people. Have you noticed that? Uh, God's word offends people. We need to try and do our very best to make sure that it's not our personality that offends people. But we should not shirk from the fact that when we proclaim God's word as it is, that the word itself puts people off. And what we see in the life of Elijah is that it goes directly in the face of systematized religion as he goes after Baal worship and the idolatrous religious positions that have drawn these people that were the ten tribes, the northern tribes of Israel away from Jehovah God. And so it takes a real man of God who will be able to stand in perilous times. And that is our tagline for this study, taking a stand for God in the midst of evil, perilous times. Now, I don't want to launch into the study today without just taking a minute to touch on some practical applications, and it will be based on this portion of Scripture as well as some of the current events in which we are living today. I think we would all recognize today that there are some bad things happening in our world, in politics, in religion. And so what should you do, really? We mentioned earlier and had a word of prayer for our nation, and election day is Tuesday, and you may still be in a quandary. What does a Christian Bible-believing person do in the midst of what seems to be some pretty challenging times that we live in? Well, let me just remind you of some things. Like Elijah, stand on God's word. That's one thing you can do. And proclaim it boldly. Don't be fearful to speak truth even when in our society today, it's not politically correct. Uh, if you choose to vote, then vote for the principles or the platform that best defends biblical truth. And, and we have never used this pulpit to promote politics and never will as long as I'm here. But let me just tell you that I cannot think of an issue that is greater than the issue of the Holocaust of unborn children, among many others that you could add. But there are some very explicitly biblical issues that if you choose to vote, that should register in your decision-making process. But at the end of the day, I think one of the things we learn from Elijah is, and in, in the application to our current situation, is that regardless of what happens, regardless of what you do, you have to be willing to let God handle the results. Amen? No matter what happens, you have to be willing to let God deal with the, the results. I would ask this question, did Elijah do anything to try and affect change in the politics of the nation of Israel? Well, of course he did. He spoke the truth of God. But did Elijah actually see political reform in his day? No, he did not. So would you say that Elijah's life and ministry, therefore, is a failure? Well, you'd be crazy if you said that. Elijah did exactly what God wanted him to do, and it didn't play out in the realm of the political figure, but yet God used him boldly and he becomes the key prophetic person in all of Scripture. So today we are starting the second book of the Kings and we'll just be looking at the first couple of chapters by the time we're done with this series. Today, just chapter number one. And what we see is, is in, by the time we get to 2 Kings chapter one, King Ahab is now dead. You see that referenced in 1 Kings 22 verses 37 and 38. And the type of death that he died 
is according to the scriptures. There was prophetic scripture that went before him, as we would have seen last week in 1 Kings 21 and verse 19. And now we see in 1 Kings 22, 51, 52, and 53 that Ahab's son, Ahaziah, is now the king of Israel. And Ahaziah, it says, is evil. You could say that he was a chip off the old block. Uh, He walked in the ways of his evil parents, in the ways of Ahab and in the ways of Jezebel. Not good examples, which, by the way, shows the amazing influence that parents have on children. Even when the things that are going on in the world around them may be quite different, parents have unbelievable influence on their children, more than a church, more than anyone else. And you can leverage that for good. In this case, it was leveraged for the opposite. What was going on in society as Ahaziah was coming up? Well, there was a famine in the land, right, for over three years. We know about the story of 1 Kings 18 where Elijah calls fire down from heaven and destroys all the prophets of Baal and God has this great victory. Jehovah is declared as the one and only true God. I mean, there were some amazing things that were going on in the society, but it doesn't seem to affect Ahaziah. It says in verse 53, continued to serve Baal. He was an idol worshiper on his own right. And as a result of this behavior of Ahaziah, it says that he provoked God to anger. He provoked God to anger. That probably would have made his daddy Ahab proud. I don't know. But what we're going to learn today is, and this is in your notes, in every situation of life, there's one fact, and that's that God is working. God is working. Regardless of the situation that you may enjoy or you may find very frustrating you can know that the lord god of the bible is at work now what exactly is he doing how exactly is he doing it those are not always perfectly clear are they but today what we're going to see are two very different responses to god working through the circumstances of life which obviously lead to two very different outcomes And in this, we see in this first chapter of 2 Kings, the very last act of Elijah's public ministry. This is Elijah's last act of public ministry. So the title that I've given to the message today is that God is working. Do you care? Because in this story, there's one that doesn't, and there's most certainly one that does. So before we jump in and begin to read, let me just pray. And Heavenly Father, as we come before your holy word, I do pray that you would open our eyes to understand not just this story historically, but inspirationally and practically, that each and every one of us would be able to recognize your mighty hand working in our circumstances, and that we would care enough about that to really want to respond the way that you're calling and leading each of us to respond. Lord, I've prayed all week long that this message would touch hearts that there would be lives of people today that would humbly bow before your holy word, before your holy presence, and just surrender all. And Lord, I pray that you would be honored and glorified through this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read together the first two verses only, and we'll enter into our first point. 2 Kings chapter number 1, verse number 1. Then Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab, and Ahaziah fell down through a lattice, in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover 
of this disease. And the first point we're going to see is the folly of godless man. The folly of godless man. Like I said, it's an absolute fact. You can take it to the bank. God is always working to change man's heart. When man rejects God, right, then there is going to be judgment that awaits. But as long as you're still breathing, friends, there's still hope. There's still time. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9 says that the Lord, among all the things that he's doing, is long-suffering. That means he suffers long. Why? Because he's waiting and hoping that more and more of us will finally get it and repent. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants every single one of us to turn to him in repentance. He's always at work in your life. So I pose a question to you. How is God working to get Ahaziah's attention in these first two verses? Well, the first point is he's working in his business. He's in his business. Well, Ahaziah is the king of Israel. And here we see Moab, right, a neighboring enemy nation, attack Israel while they're in this transition to a new king. Please don't forget that Israel is still God's chosen people. Notice in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 7, the Bible principle, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. So when a man's ways don't please the Lord, you better buckle up. You better buckle up. And let me just tell you something. In the event that there would be some ladies here who might not understand this principle, no male, no man wants to be a failure at what he does for a living. All of us want to be successful at whatever it is we put our hands to. Wouldn't you say, guys? I mean, we want to be good at whatever it is we do. And what is Ahaziah's job is to be the king of Israel, and he is under attack. And so what's going on here is God's judgment on Israel. He's trying to get Ahaziah's attention. Does he care? Well, no, of course he doesn't care. How do you know that? Well, because he didn't go out to battle with the armies of Israel to battle against Moab. That is the general procedure. The kings lead the armies out to battle. And when the kings don't lead the armies out to battle, it's because they're not that interested in what God told them to do. Do you remember back in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse number 1 where even the great King David, he got a little lazy. And when the kings should have been out in battle, he just decided to stay home. And he found himself lounging on the roof of his palace. And that's when he glanced across the way and happened to see Bathsheba, the neighbor's wife. And then you know the story from there. And he falls into great sin, which leads to murder and deceit and just all kinds of terrible things. Why? Because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And to be out in the battlefield with the armies of Israel, he was lounging back at his palace. And so that's what we see here. Ahaziah is more concerned with enjoying the comforts that his privilege provided. He's more concerned about the comforts that his privilege provided. Similar to David, he's just kind of lounging on the roof. Before we go on with the story, can I just remind us all that we too, citizens of this still greatest nation on the planet, enjoy tremendous privilege. We are all globally the one percenters, aren't we? And we have unbelievable opportunity and privilege afforded to us such that 
We can leave this church after lunch and go out and participate in very expensive recreational activities if we want to. We have that available to us, right? And I'm not saying that it's sin. All I'm trying to say is when your life is consumed with your comforts that your privilege provides to the point where you cast aside what God has told you to do, well, that's trouble. But God is at work in his job. God is at work in his business. He's trying to get his attention and say, hey, hey, there's something going on here. Ahaziah had had a terrible situation growing up with that family, you might say, but at the same time, God's not done with them. He's still breathing. Well, there's another way he's trying to get his attention, and that's number two. It's in his body. Because the Bible says that he falls through the lattice into his upper chamber. And the way that you would understand that is, like King David, he's probably lounging on the roof, and there's probably a lattice work that covers an opening that would have let sunlight into what was probably his bedroom. But he falls through the roof, he falls through this woodwork, and he lands and injures himself. And so he's just doing whatever he's doing and finds himself severely injured to the point where he's ultimately going to inquire, man, am I even going to make it? And You know, listen, we can't say, there's no way we could say every time something bad happens to you physically, it's the judgment of God. Of course not. But you should, as a Christian person, always be willing to consider when difficulties come into your life, and sometimes it comes down to the issue of some sort of physical impairment. Is God trying to get my attention? Is there something I need to be aware of? If you're not listening to God's word, then maybe he has to get your attention another way. Hey, parents, what do you do with your kids when they don't listen to your word? Do you do things to get their attention? Well, if you're a good parent, you do. If you're a good parent, you do. So that's what he's doing. He becomes injured, and he realizes some very important Bible truths right here. Like in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse number 3 that says, There is but a step between me and death. You know that's true for you too. That's true for me. That's true for all of us. Listen, y'all, if, if, if you're a parent of teenagers, for example, you know, it could be anybody, but let me just say, for example, you know that you are only one phone call away from your life being dramatically different. And it's not just for teenagers, for anybody. We are but a step from death. That's what the Bible says. And it was one step that plunges Ahaziah down into his chamber. Proverbs 26 and verse number 2 says that the curse causeless shall not come. If there's a curse that comes, there's a reason. You can count on it. There's a reason. And so he did have this challenge, like I referred to, and Ahaziah's challenge is overcoming his family. And he had a bad family. I mean, he had a, 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 a marquee evil father and mother i mean his family background his family traditions his circumstances in his home were awful and i understand that life is not always fair and there are people who grow up in terrible awful home situations but even if that is or has been your misfortune God is working to get your attention. God wants to restore you. God wants to fix that if you are listening, if you are willing. And so 
God still gives them the chance to repent. He gives them, like it says in Revelation 2 and verse 21, space to repent. He's giving him room. He's working in his life. He's trying to get his attention. But it appears that Ahaziah doesn't really care. What does he do instead? Well, he sends to not, he doesn't send to say, wow, call a doctor and see what I got to do. Do I got to go to rehab? Do I need to take some medicine? I mean, what do I need to do to get well? He doesn't do that. What does he do? He sends to inquire about his future. And so in your notes, I put this, his actions reveal his heart. His actions, what does he do? Reveal his heart. Oh, and so do yours, by the way. Your actions reveal your heart. He sends messengers to this character called Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Literally, the name Beelzebub could be translated, if you were to translate it, Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. And Beelzebub would be one of many Baal prefix false gods in the Bible. The word the Bible uses for the multiplied group of false gods with the, with the association of Baal is Balaam. The I-M ending makes it plural. Seraphim makes a seraph. Many seraph are seraphim. Many Baals are Balaam. One of the Baal gods, small g, is Baal-zebub, and that's who we have here. Now, this is referred to in other places, so you can get the idea of what's going on. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 24, while Jesus is kind of having it out with the Pharisees, they refer to him as having done the great works that he's done in the power of Baal-zebub, and they further define who this character is, the prince of the devils. Well, listen, even popular culture these days uses the word Beelzebub to refer to the devil. You know that. And that's who he really is. I mean, so what Ahaziah is doing, he's going to inquire from the evil spirit that controls this false idol-worshiping system. He's going to inquire at the hand of the devil to see whether or not he's going to get well. If you took the parallel passage to Matthew chapter 12, it would be in Mark chapter 3, verses 22 to 29. And where it lays out for you very clearly that this interaction where they attribute to Jesus Christ and his holy life and his perfect healing works, they attribute Jesus Christ to being working in the power of the devil. And the Bible says this is the unpardonable sin. This is the sin that there is no pardon for. When you see God in his full power, manifest bodily in front of you, doing nothing but righteous deeds, and you come to a 180-degree conclusion that this is really the devil, when you confuse God with the devil, then there's no hope for that. And so, again, no wonder why, back in 1 Kings 22, it says that he provoked God to anger. He provoked God to anger. And so with this comes judgment. But I do want you to notice, he doesn't inquire, hey, how can I get better? He inquires very simply, because that's what you would ask a doctor. He, he inquires, will I recover? That's kind of what you would ask a psychic. And so Ahaziah, you know, basically calls up his local psychic hotline. And he calls out to Beelzebub, who it says is the god of Ekron. Now, Ekron is one of five chief cities in the land of Philistia, the Philistines, okay? And so it's the chief city of the Philistines, and the Philistines, the pagan people of the Philistines, are known for fortune-telling. 
We see that in Isaiah 2 and verse number 6. Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east and are soothsayers like the Philistines. The Philistines are known for being soothsayers, fortune tellers, psychics, if you will. You say, well, how ridiculous. Who would go and inquire from, from devils about their future? Oh, really? Do you get the newspaper and read the Zodiac? I mean, I don't want to go crazy with this thing, but astrology, Zodiac, psychic, hotline, card readers, palm readers. You know what all that stuff is? It's divination. That's what it is. Listen, some of them are charlatans. Some of them just lie to you to get your money. Some of them just say generic things to see if they can swindle you out of some cash. Some of them have power. Some of them are full of spirits that are just not holy. And you need to be very careful about that because more and more and more, don't you notice, our nation is not more and more pagan in the sense that we have rejected all spirituality. Our nation is probably as spiritual as it's ever been. They're just going after the wrong spirit. They're just going after the wrong spirit. There's something out today that's gaining popularity, even in the Christian world. It's sad. And it's referred to with a weird name. It comes from a Greek root, and it's splankna. S-P-L-A-N-K-N-A. Splankna, which is called energy healing. Or sometimes it's energy psychology. They refer to it as applied kinesiology, and it's pawned off as Christian counseling. You can go online and look at it. And really all it is is old-fashioned witchcraft, divination. And there are churches across this land that are using this tactic to try and get you. It's like going to a psychic hotline. And people using the tactics of Splankna are drawing out from people truths about their past that nobody would have ever known. How in the world could they know those things? Listen, if you happen to have taken advantage of our 9 a.m. Bible study this morning, it was, it's amazing. This stuff was covered in 9 a.m. Please come and be a part of our 9 a.m. Bible studies. But the Bible, I mean, explicitly forbids such behavior. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse number 6. And the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards to go a-whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul and will cut him off from among his people. Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse number 10. There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch. And do you remember when King Saul did that? That didn't work out too good for him, did it? First Chronicles 10, 13. So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also... For asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. That was the end of Saul when he went to the witch at Endor. Such people that expose themselves to such things are exposing themselves to the powers of the devil. It's a serious, serious thing. So let me ask you a question Where do you go when you're hurting? Who do you turn to? Because your honest response to that question says a lot about you. It says a lot about your relationship with God. And God may be trying to get your attention. Maybe through your business. Maybe through your health. And the question you need to ask yourself is, 
Do I care? Well, let's look at our second point. We're going to see the function of God's man. The function of God's man. We're going to pick it up in verse number 3 and go through verse number 8. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, Is it not because there's not a God in Israel that you go to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. Kind of a drop-the-mic situation there. That's what's going to happen. I'm out. And when the messengers heard back unto him and said unto them, Why are you now turned back? The king said to the messengers, Why are you now turned back? And they said unto him, There came a man up to meet us and said unto us, Go turn again unto the king that sent you. And say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And he said unto them, What manner of man was he which came to meet you and told you these words? And they answered him, He was an hairy man, and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, It's Elijah the Tishbite. It was Elijah the Tishbite. So in this case, in steps Elijah. We have the angel of the Lord, which comparing Scripture with Scripture in places like Galatians 4 and verse 14, is the Lord Jesus Christ, who comes and tells Elijah to go intercept the messengers on their way to Philistia, give them my message, and then send them back to the king with this message. Why are you calling on Beelzebub? Have you forgotten that there still is a God in Israel? You are the nation of Israel. As a result, you will not recover. You will surely die. So here's what we learn. A man of God is to warn people of foolish decisions and to point out the inevitable consequences. That's what a man of God is supposed to do. We are to warn people of potential foolish decisions. We are to point out that if they follow such decisions... There will be negative consequences. You could reference Ezekiel chapter 3, which is the story of the watchman. And in Ezekiel chapter 3, you can read it on your own, but basically the story of Ezekiel 3 and the watchman is the idea that Ezekiel was set up to be the watchman for the nation of Israel. And if evil was going to come, that, that they were supposed to warn the people that evil was coming. And if the people heeded the word of the watchman, they'd protect themselves and they'd be safe. But if they ignored the word of the watchman and then they died, well, you know, then it's on them. And the idea is, if they ignore the warning and they die, well, it's not the watchman's fault. His hands are clean. But if the watchman doesn't do his part and warn the people, and then the enemy comes and the people die, well, now it's the watchman's fault because the watchman didn't do what a watchman is supposed to do, and that's keep watch for attacks, for evil, for difficulties, for things that might come in. Well, that's what we do with the gospel, right? Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? But you can't call on him if you haven't believed, and you can't believe if you haven't heard, and you can't hear, oh yeah, unless there's a preacher. And preachers need to be sent out so that they can proclaim boldly the truth even in perilous times, so that people can hear, so that they can believe, so that they can be saved. That's the job of a man of God. That's what we see Elijah doing in this situation. So what is the message to all who will hear? Well, the message is, if you seek your answers from other gods, small g, 
then you will surely never, ever recover. You will have an eternal negative consequence. That's why Jesus said, Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's why Amos in Amos chapter 5 says, Seek the Lord and live. Seek Beelzebub, apparently you die. So for lost people, this really is the essence of the gospel, is it not? Because everybody on planet earth is sick and dying of a disease. That disease is called sin. And if you seek the Lord God of Israel, then you'll live. You'll live forever. And if you reject the God of Israel and you go after other gods, well then you will surely die because Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So we see that God continues to work in Ahaziah beyond circumstances by giving him his word. God sends his word to Ahaziah through the prophet Elijah. We can all do this. This is our function as Christian believers to boldly stand and to proclaim the truth of God's word to all who will hear that we would warn them of potential foolish decisions and the inevitable negative consequences that come from following bad decisions. This is what we are supposed to do. But God is continuing to work in Isaiah. He sends him, he says, hey, look, if you keep seeking Beelzebub, you're never going to get up. If you will follow me, if you would surrender to me, if you would cry out to me for mercy... Well, then we'll have a different response, as we'll see before this story's over today. But I want you to notice, and I put this in your notes as well, unregenerate man is more interested in the man than the message. You notice that? They come back with the message. And in verse number 7, here's the king's response. He's not like, oh, no, what bad news, I'm going to die. He doesn't say any of that. The first thing he says is, who, who was the guy? What was he like? Who, who did you talk to? What manner of man was it that gave you that message? In case you think that that's an unusual kind of a response, see, for example, all lawyers and politicians. You can laugh or say, ooh, either way, it's true. Because when a lawyer is trying a case, and they know the other party has a valid argument, what do they do? They can't stand in front of the argument, so they discredit the witness to try and dismiss what they have to say. And that's what politicians do. When they can't discredit what somebody's trying to say, they discredit the person. Sometimes it's easier than others. But let me tell you something. If if you'll be wise, you will be open to receiving the message regardless of who delivers it. You'll be open to receiving the message regardless of who delivers it. Ahaziah is not open to such a proposition. He's interested. Who is the guy? Well, we have a description. He's a hairy guy. He has a leather girdle. Sounds weird. So, I want to give you a little prophetic element to this story. This is a bit of a sidebar, but for you Bible students, you may enjoy 
what this means. He was a hairy man and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. You reading through your Bible may never have thought when you hit this verse. This is a prophetic interjection that's really going to teach me something. Listen, very quickly, dress in the Old Testament is very important. How people clothed themselves frequently carried meaning, okay? So if a person clothed themselves with sackcloth, we know that that meant that they were in grief and mourning. We know that the the Levitical priesthood had a certain clothing that they had to wear that represented what they were representing in leading the nation of Israel in their worship and sacrifice to the Lord. And what we see in the Bible is that this idea of he was a hairy man did not mean that he just had a lot of hair on his body. It meant that that was his clothing, that he dressed himself with animal skins and would have been girt about with a leather girdle, a belt. That would have been the typical dress of an Old Testament prophet. So he knew that this man was a prophet. Okay, in Hebrews 11 and verse 37, in the list of faithful people through the Old Testament, one of the characteristics, they wandered about in sheepskins and in goatskins. And if you go to Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 4, what you find is the exact same description of John the Baptist. Earlier in our series, if you've been with us, you've seen the comparisons between John the Baptist and Elijah and how John the Baptist fulfills the prophetic coming of Elijah as the forerunner of the Messiah. And so this is exactly the way that John is described. He's, he's dressed with animal skins and girt about with a leather girdle. And this is the last public act of Elijah, of his public ministry. And what is he doing? He's pronouncing judgment on apostasy and sin. And Elijah is the figurehead that represents all of the prophets. And Moses is the figurehead that represents all of the law. And all of the law and all of the prophets is a term that's used to encompass God's word, most specifically the Old Testament. And Moses and Elijah are together in this thing all the way through. We've seen in this study, Moses and Elijah are both referenced in the last few verses of the last book of your Old Testament, the prophet Malachi where Elijah and Moses, verses 4 and 5 of chapter number 4, and then in verse number 6, the very last verse of your Old Testament comes by and says, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And so the last word of your Old Testament is curse. The last word of the New Testament is amen. Amen. So let me just encourage you, child of God, press on. Carry God's word to the masses. It has God's power and God will use it. It will not return void. People might seem as though they don't care, but God is working. He will use you. And if you do, if you care, you will do that. And God will take it as God pleases, working through the free will of sinful men. So let's go to our third Character and our third point, the fear of God and his man. Chapter number one, now in verse number nine through verse 15. Then the king sent unto him a captain of fifty with his fifty. And he went up to him, and behold, he sat on the top of an hill, and he spake unto him, Thou man of God, the king hath said, Come down. And Elijah answered and said to the captain of fifty, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. 
And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. That's a bad day. Again also he sent unto him another captain of fifty with his fifty. Hey, maybe it was circumstance, you know, just bad luck. And he answered and said unto him, O man of God, thus hath the king said, Come down quickly. And Elijah answered and said unto them, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. And he sent again, this is the king, a captain of the third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up and learned something and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him and said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these fifty thy servants be precious in thy sight. Behold, there came fire down from heaven and burnt up the two captains of the former fifties with their fifties. Therefore, let my life now be precious in thy sight. And the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, Go down with him, be not afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him unto the king. So in this case, Ahaziah, well, he's ticked. He's like, Elijah, the guy who plagued my dad's life and reign the whole time, he's showing up again and messing my thing up as well. So he sends this ambassage, this delegation, a captain of 50 soldiers with 50 soldiers to go and get Elijah, bring him back to the palace, undoubtedly for some form of punishment, if not execution. And so the first group, you know, we read the story. Notice what he says. Thou man of God, the king hath said, come down. And I want you to read as you read that, thou man of God, with just a hint of sarcasm. Oh, hey, man of God. I get it, you said what God said. But let me tell you what the king said. And he's asserting what in his mind is the higher authority, the word of the king. And then he offers the command, come down. Now Elijah, I would also like for you to consider inserting a hint of sarcasm. Oh, well, if I be a man of God, <laughs> let's just let some fire come down and consume you. <laughs> well, fortunately, somebody was there and caught it on Instagram. <laughs> and they tagged at King of Israel. And so the king got word about this. I mean, face it, none of those guys made it home, right? So somehow the king got word. And he's like, okay, well, let's reload. Let's try again. So, you know, the king doesn't care about God or the 51 guys. Oh, let's send another delegation. So they send the next delegation. This time they come and they say, O man of God, thus hath the king said, come down, and he adds the word, quickly. Again, you translate it or paraphrase it the way you want. I would Maybe consider reading it this way. Boy, you better get down here right now, or else. That's the way I'd read it. Well, same result. Burnt toast. But by now, thankfully, the crowd is ready. 
And so they got this one on Facebook Live. I mean, it's, it, they got the live video going back to the palace. And the king's like, got it, man. I, I mean, wow, he, he, he saw the whole thing happen. Just, just kidding. <laughs> Unfazed, the king sends a third group. But obviously, this third captain has a much different response. Is God working in the circumstances around the nation of Israel? Yes. Is the third captain paying attention and does he care? You better believe it. You better believe it. So, by the way, before we get to this third guy, let me just give you another prophetic reference for those of you Bible students that are interested. You remember back in 1 Kings chapter 18, the first time Elijah calls down fire from heaven, the fire came down on the sacrifice, not on the people. And it represents the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when God's wrath was placed on Christ, not on us. But the second time, the fire falls on the people. Because when Jesus Christ comes back the second time, there's no more mocking him, spitting on him, accusing him, nailing him to a cross ever, ever, ever again. When he comes back again, he comes in judgment. And Elijah is the prophesied forerunner of the coming of the Messiah, fulfilled in John the Baptist the first time, but not completely because Israel rejected him. He will come back yet again the second time. So the third guy comes and he says, please don't kill me and my men. Please, I'm just doing my job, man. Please don't kill the messenger. I can't help it. And so as a result, I have in your notes, the third captain entreats Elijah with humility, shows true fear of God, and begs for mercy. There's no pride. There's no commands offered. In fact, he says... We are your servants, Elijah. So in this instance, God is working in others around this final captain of 50. He recognizes that God's working and he cares. It matters to him. And remember he said your attitude reveals your heart and so his actions reveal your heart. And so he responds how? With humility, he fears God more than he fears the king and what might happen when he has to go back. He comes to God humbly and he looks for mercy. And friends, every single time that you come to God humbly and look for mercy, you will get a favorable response from Jehovah God. That's what he wants from us. Not pride, not arrogance, not usurping his authority with some man-made authority, none of those things. He wants us to respond humbly. James chapter 4 and verse number 6, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. That's all we see in this story. He resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. So what's the result in this situation? Well, first off, he doesn't die. But not only doesn't he die, he's successful in his mission. 
he actually achieves the goal of bringing Elijah back to the palace. All because of his attitude. All because of his willingness to respond to what God is doing around him, which is, by the way, much greater than whatever the political correctness in the ten northern tribes of that day may have dictated. So God sends Elijah with him. Be not afraid. Go with him. So let's finish reading verses 16 and the first part of verse 17, which is really the totality of this story. And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, as Elijah gets before the king, the same message, For as much as thou hast sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it not because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore thou shalt not come down off that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And verse 17 is a warning to every one of us. So he died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. So Elijah delivers the message. It's the exact same message that when he intercepted the first messengers and sent them back. Why? God's word never changes. It's not going to evolve. It's not going to adapt to some new set of social pressures. God's word is God's word. And it always will be. And he says, you're going to die because you sought Beelzebub. Because you ignored Jehovah. That's why. So he died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. But what I want us all to realize is we all die according to the word of the Lord. We all do. Every one of us. Because we are sinners, right? We have earned death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We, we all die according to the word of the Lord. Of course, we, we now understand that a person is born, they live sometime, and then they die. But that's because of sin, because God said that's how it works. But we need to understand that when God talks about death, there are two deaths. There is the physical that we're all too aware of, but there is also the spiritual, which is defined in Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 8, which is defined as a lake of fire, the second death, a spiritual death, an eternal place of torment and punishment. We would call that place hell. And all of us are going to die according to the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord offers to each and every one of us the personal option, the choice. Repent of your sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Call out to him for forgiveness. Beg him for mercy. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Cry out to him for help. And he will save your soul he will give you eternal life and although yes still this body of flesh will pass our life eternally will never experience the second death we will live forever with him but if your response is similar to the response of ahaziah and you say no thanks i'll find my own way 
I don't buy this Jesus is the only way thing. There's a lot of ways to heaven. Other religions call him by other names. Okay, roll the dice. But you too, friend, will die according to the word of the Lord. No God, no eternal life with him in heaven. So, God is working. He's working today. He's working in our society. He's working in our circumstances. He's working in our health. He's working in our friends. He's working through his word. He's working in you. Do you care? Because what we're going to do is pray. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond. And I'm telling you, if, if you feel that tug on your heart, if you've never known Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, now is the time to fall on your face before him and beg him for mercy. And if you have known him as your personal Savior, but for some reason the circumstances of life have choked out fruitfulness and you find yourself somehow very carnal and have to look way back into your past for spiritual fruit in your life and vibrancy, well, maybe you need to repent too. Maybe there's some things you need to beg God for forgiveness. Maybe you need to quit being so proud and you need to try on humility for a change. And just ask God for mercy and let him lift you up. Because whether you really care or not will be proven out based on what you choose to do with what we have heard today. Let's pray together. And Lord Jesus, I want to pray in thanksgiving, first of all, for all the ways that you have communicated to us through your word, but most specifically today. Lord, we look at this story that happened thousands of years ago, and it is amazing to me how human nature never changes. The details of the circumstances of our life today may look different, but the essence of our life struggles are exactly the same. And I want to pray for each and every one who's here today, Lord, who would say, I don't know that I'm saved. If I died right now, I, I don't really know where I would go and Man, this kind of scares me, and I, I know I'm a sinner. I, I know that my sin separates me from God, and man, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I want to receive the free gift of eternal life that's offered in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray they do that right now. And if you just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask this question. I'm just going to look and see. If that's you, if you would say, I'm not sure I'm saved, but man, I want to be saved today, would, would you just raise your hand? Nobody's going to come to your body, I promise. I just want to pray for you, that's all. Is there anybody who would just say, pray for me, I'm not sure I'm saved. I see somebody at the top, God bless you, you can take it down. Anybody else, just raise your hand and put it down again. Man, pray for me. Listen, if you are saved, and you would say, wow, I, I know I've made that decision, but man, I've let it slide. I have been proud, and I've been guilty of doing things I shouldn't do. And God has put his finger on my life. He's been trying to get my attention, and I've been ignoring him, and I'm not going to ignore him anymore. Today, I'm going to humble myself and beg for mercy. Now, if you would find yourself in that category, can I pray for you? Just raise your hand. I I've been in that category. I've been carnal. I know I'm saved, but man, I have not been living right. God bless your honesty. Lord Jesus, I pray that each and every one would respond exactly the way that they are confessing. They would cry out to you for salvation. They would cry out to you for restoration. That all of us, Lord, right now, we are on full display. What we really believe 
is what we live. And Lord, we offer these things to you with humble hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand?